Life is messy. It's always messy. You know that, and I know that. And it's still messy, even though it's Christmas time. The other day, I went out to bring the trash can in, and there it was. It was a big mess. This this squirrel, this squirrel, I don't know what he was thinking. Actually, I know what he was thinking. At the very last minute, the last thought he had in his head was, I think I can make it. That was it in this little squirrel language. I think I can make it. And I don't know what he was thinking. The garbage truck is so huge. It was obvious that he was run over by the garbage truck. You can see the tracks right in this fur there. It was just, it was not pretty to look at. And, and the garbage truck is so big, it's so easy to see. It moves relatively slowly. And he's, he's thinking, I think I can make it. Swoosh! He was just gone. The next thing he knew, he was thinking, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a squirrel like me. You know, and he was in squirrel heaven and everything was good, but now I'm left to clean up this mess. But I don't want to clean up the mess because it just happened like about a couple minutes ago and it doesn't look good. So I do what I always do when things don't look good, when things are messy, I call my executive assistant and I say, Debbie Hudson, you have to figure this one out for me. Can we call the city? Can we do something? Can the city, their, an, their animal control division, can they get out here, take care of this? She says, yes, that's what they do. I say, good. So I leave, and, and I think that phone call took care of it. The phone call happened, and it was good, and I thought that was the end of it until I got home later that afternoon. And that was the day that it was raining. And now there's a big puddle in front of my house, and I noticed that the squirrel is now swimming in the puddle, face down, swimming in the puddle. It's not looking good. The mess is a little bit more cleaned up because of the water and everything, but it's still messy and it's still kind of gory. And I go over to take a look at this poor thing, and then a car comes by, and now I am doused with dead squirrel water. I mean, the car hit that puddle, boosh, I got the big wave of water over me and I'm like shaking the water off and I'm wiping what I'm going this is not right this is not good and, and so you know I think what is going on in this city can this city not get out to pick up the squirrels the dead squirrels and then I realized I am angry at Will Sessoms and I'm not just angry at Will Sessoms I'm not just angry at him because of the squirrel this goes back to the traffic ticket I am not yet over the traffic ticket and all of a sudden I realized I have to get back in that Will Sessoms therapy group that meets at the rec center every other Wednesday at 7 p.m. because I have issues I have issues so the city can't handle the squirrels we make the second call the second call to the city was to no avail the flattened squirrel carcass remained to taunt me at the end 
of my driveway. The wind later that day seemed to blow dry the squirrel and bring it back to life. It was eerie to say the least as the wind made the squirrel sort of dance and sway at the end of the driveway. He was still stuck half to the street, but the other half was floating up and down and flying in the wind. The third phone call to the city failed to light a fire under animal control. I can only imagine that many squirrel battles are being fought across Virginia Beach and around the world, and, and they're just busy. They're just busy, and they can't take care of a squirrel in front of my house. But the squirrel must be dealt with. And so finally, reluctantly, I came to terms that I must deal with it myself, armed with two plastic bags, a plastic bag inside of another plastic bag. I approached the squirrel. I reached down. I scooped it up in my bare hand, my little friend that I had come to call Rectangle. <laughs> Since he had been smushed in a rectangular sort of way. It was a strange, garish relationship I now had with Rectangle. I put him in the trunk of my car. When Gail found out, she said she'd never get in my car again. He remained in the trunk for the next two days. I kept forgetting to throw the bag away. And I didn't tell Gail, but now she knows. Since, since then, I felt so bad about the whole incident, I really couldn't part with him, you know. I really couldn't. And so he remains with me throughout this holiday season. Me and Rectangle have a very merry, messy Christmas. Life is messy. Life is messy. But we like to think of Christmas as a perfect time of the year. It's the most wonderful time of the year, the song says. And there's something to be said for that view. There are aspects of the Christmas season that give us great joy. I will have fun next Sunday when I throw stuff at you and try to hurt you. Um, there is magic in the air. There is food being prepared. There is pie. It is good. There are gatherings of friends and family. There are hopes and dreams. There are new puppies just waiting and ready to tear you up. Try as hard as we can, though. The messiness of life keeps breaking through. You just can't have Christmas time without the mess. That's the way it's always been, and that's the truth. So let me tell you Matthew's story. Because in Matthew's story, there's a few more than hints about Merry Messy Christmas. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now the name Jesus literally means the Lord is salvation. And the word Messiah is the word that we normally use in Greek, Christ. It means the anointed one. The Messiah was the anointed one. People were waiting and waiting for this anointed one to come. How would the Lord bring salvation? This is the, the story, the history of that time. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. 
Aminadab, the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram. Jehoram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Amon. Amon, the father of Josiah. And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon. Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel. Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, the father of Abahud. Abahud, the father of Eliakim. Eliakim, the father of Azor. Azor, the father of Zadok. Zadok, the father of Akim. Akim, the father of Elihud. Elihud, the father of Eleazar. Eleazar, the father of Mathan. Mathan, the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Joseph. The husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Now, very rarely do you get this genealogy as a Christmas message. And you know why? Because some of you checked out 10 verses ago. Some of you were wondering, what is he doing? Why is he reading us all the names? What does this mean? Well, to the Jewish mind of the first century, it meant a lot. It was very important for them to be able to trace the lineage of the Messiah back to David. It was very important to be able to have that connection. It was very important to know where did this this Messiah come from and how did he get here through all these centuries, through all these generations upon generation. And so there was rapt attention to what Matthew had written. But for us today, it it just, it kind of, it lacks a, a, a little depth of of understanding in terms of what it could mean to our lives. But that's where I want to shift your focus for just a few moments. This is really a collection of stories. This is a collection of, of people's lives, like your life and like my life. People who are dealing with stuff all the time. Maybe they weren't dealing with smushed squirrels named Rectangle, but they were dealing with a lot of other stuff. They were dealing with passions, and they were dealing with conflicts, and they were dealing with faith, and they were dealing with loss of faith, and they were trying to figure out who is this God who comes into our lives, and what are we supposed to do? And so each name is a story, and about some of the the names we know the story behind the name. And some of the names are very obscure and we don't know very much about them, but they all had stories. So let me tell you just a few of the stories from Matthew's story. And let me tell you why Christmas is messy. Abraham. Abraham. Abraham was the beginning of of this understanding that we are supposed to have a relationship with God. Abraham came out of a pagan culture. His father was, was probably an idol worshiper. 
uh, a polytheistic kind of guy, worshiping a lot of different deities. And Abraham comes out of that kind of, of, of a family and says, no, I think there's got to be more. I have a heart that's big for the God who created all things. And God recognizes that heart in Abraham, just like he will recognize that heart in you the day that you wake up and you go, it's more than just going through the motions. It's more than just going to church. It's more than, than religious exercise. There's something that God wants me to know about who he is. And there's something that I need to know about my purpose in the world. And when Abraham hit that moment, God saw into Abraham's heart such a deep faith. It says that God credited righteousness to Abraham because of his faith. It says that in Genesis. But Abraham goes on. He doesn't live a perfect life. God promises that, that the whole world is going to be blessed through this man. He's, he's married to Sarah and they're supposed to have a baby, but they get well on in years. They are well past being in the AARP by the time they get around to having a baby. And during that time, he has ups and downs and in-betweens. And at, at one point of his life, he's far from perfect. He tries to pass off his wife as his sister. So this king, who, who kind of likes her a lot, can, can take her as his wife. And, and, and he doesn't have it all together all the time. His life is messy, and yet God is using his life. Now, Judah and Tamar is a different kind of a story. We're talking now in the 16th century B.C. Tamar was the wife of Judah's sons, Ur and Onan. Both men died before she had children. So when Judah refused to give his third son to her, which was the custom if a brother was not able to have children, then another brother would come along and hopefully there would be children. When Judah refused to give his third son to her, Tamar resorted to trickery to get her father-in-law Judah himself to impregnate her. The result was twins, Perez and Zerah. It's kind of a messy story. Salmon and Rahab. Rahab was the prostitute of Jericho who had an apartment in the wall of the city. She hid the spies who were on a reconnaissance mission. We're in about the 13th century B.C. But because she had a heart for these men of Israel, they were going to save her out of Jericho as the walls were going to crumble. And as Israel was going to take this city, they were going to save her. And they did. And one of those spies fell in love with her. And so her very messy life gets written into the story of the Messiah. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. We're at verse six now. Bathsheba doesn't even get her name mentioned. But Matthew wants to make sure we know exactly who she was. It's kind of messy. She was Uriah's wife, and you have to go, oh, oh, I remember, I remember that story. David goes out of his way to find out who that woman is, and then he finds out that she's married to Uriah, and he makes sure that, that Uriah goes out to the front lines in battle so that, I mean, if you're on the front line, 
and, and you say, charge, I mean, there's not much between you and the enemy, and Uriah is killed. David engineers the death of Uriah so he can have Bathsheba. Their first child is born dead. And then Solomon, one of the wisest men of all time, is born. But the story is kind of messy. Rehoboam. Rehoboam was the first king of Judah after the monarchy split in the 10th century B.C. He made a mess by throwing his political weight around and making everyone mad at him. Under the influence of foreign wives, after three years in office, he revived pagan forms of worship. And he led for 17 years. And so here's this guy who's supposed to be leading people in the right way, leading people in the good way. And he's making a mess of things. He is saying, we should worship these foreign gods. We should worship these idols. We should worship the, the goddess of fertility. We should worship the God who, who brings us the crops that we need to survive. And, and so he's all over the map. He's all over the place. He is a mess. And he's in the story. Josiah. Josiah was eight years old when he became king. You don't know much about being king when you're eight years old. You're still watching Sesame Street. You still want to go to you know, Elmo's Castle or Bush Gardens. There's not much you know, outside of, of, of eight years old that's, that's political. Uh, but he was eight years old when he became king. When he was in his mid-20s, he carried out sweeping reforms to restore the dignity of Passover and the purity of the worship of the God of Israel. He was a mess cleaner upper king. And so it's a good story when you get to Josiah. Jeconiah, he only reigned for three months. He had a 90-day span of ruling the kingdom. And in 598 BC, he was taken into captivity, captivity by Nebuchadnezzar, kind of a messy political overthrow that happened there. And then later, Nehemiah comes along to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, and to clean up the mess. And now we're at verse 16. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary, and Mary was the mother of, literally, by whom was born Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Verse 16 is a very interesting little twist to the story by whom is in the feminine singular this is a clear overarching statement of the virgin birth everything else is this guy had a father and this guy had a father and this father had a son and this and now you get down to the to the end of this story where the Messiah is coming in. And you would think that the story would stay true to its theme. And it shifts. The story begins to take on a life of its own. By whom? This is a statement of the virgin birth. Mary, Mary, Mary was different. And her story would be told for all time about how she answered the call of an angel and said, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be to me as you have said. 
And then the story gets messy again in verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. And that pledge was tantamount to marriage. It was Everything was done except the celebration, except the, the public celebration of the marriage. She was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. This is too messy for me, thought Joseph. I love her, but I need to get out of this mess. I I cannot let the very beginning of my life be, be this messy. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And Joseph thought, oh my, this is a different story for my life than I thought the story for my life was going to be. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name. Jesus. And so in the year 1504, an Italian painter named Raphael paints the marriage of the virgin, the marriage of the virgin. And in that picture, you see Joseph. And that's a story of stories because he wasn't sure, you know, where this whole thing was going. It was a little too messy for him. But he knew that God was in the middle of it. And so he decided that if God is in it, then somehow God will take care of what seems to me to be so messy. Matthew's story. Matthew's story. All the different stories that unfolded over hundreds and hundreds of years the ups, the downs, the in-betweens that were leading to that moment when God himself would enter his own story, the story of his creation, the story of your life, and the story of my life. People don't like a merry, messy Christmas because, well, it seems to take away the wonder It seems to take away. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Oh, those are some messy stories. But what's wonderful is that God takes all those stories. It is the most wonderful time of the year because God enters the messiness and does something good as only God can do. 
People don't like a merry, messy Christmas because it pulls us in. We can be in the story too. We realize if those people were in the story, then I can be in the story. If those were Jesus' relatives, I don't have a problem, right? If he had all that stuff going on leading up to his coming into the world, then maybe I'm in the story too. Maybe my story is a part of his story, and that's exactly what Christmas is. Your story is a part of his story too. People don't like a merry, messy Christmas because it shows how God is in control of our lives to the utmost detail. Every I dotted, every T crossed. God knows everything. And we, we want to make decisions for ourselves and we want to decide on the big things. And, and sometimes we'll say, well, God, you decide on the little things. I'll handle the big things. And God says, I'm in charge of it all. And at some point, you have to realize that the best way to live is for God to be in charge of it all. I talked to a man last night it was half past midnight, and I was talking to a man, 30 years of age, who lives in a storage unit. He's trying to figure out what God wants him to do. And, um, and I was kind of trying to listen to his story, and, and he said, um, he said, I've been praying that God would just show me, and God's not showing me. I have to make a decision. I said, well, do you know what Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says? He said, no. I said, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. He said, I've been praying for God to show me something. And I said, God sent me to tell you that all you have to do is the next right thing. He said, and then what's going to happen? I said, I don't know. But you got to do the next right thing, and then the next thing will take care of itself. And I had a sneaky suspicion that he didn't like that God had sent me. He wanted Gabriel. Uh, he wanted somebody with wings. You know, I don't have wings. I have squirrels. I don't have wings. Um, it shows how God is in control of our lives to the utmost detail. If there's one thing that I know, it's that. It's that God is in control down to the last jot and tittle of our lives. And finally, people don't like a merry, messy Christmas because they think there's not going to be any presents. Well, if, if it's all about the messy stuff and, and all that that was leading up to it and it was still kind of messy even after Jesus came and stayed kind of messy then then all this celebration and all the presents I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get any presents and you, you miss the whole point if that's what you think every present that we give every present is just a tiny tiny glimmer of the greatest present of all that he would come that he would give himself, that he would give his entire life because he loved you so much. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's the best present. And we give gifts to each other 
in recognition of the joy that is in that gift, Emmanuel, God with us. As a matter of fact, if when you give a gift, you don't realize the gift is just a glimmer of a far greater joy, then the giving of the gift evaporates quickly. It vaporizes. It's gone. And you find yourself addicted to gift giving and addicted to more gift giving. And it goes in the cycle of gift giving and more gifts and bigger gifts. And somehow the gifts never fill up this great empty space in the human heart. They can't. Because the great space, the great vacuum in the human heart can only be first filled with this gift. The gift of God's Son. In Matthew chapter 2 we read, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And that's another story. And that's where we'll be next week as we hear the Magi's story. Merry, messy Christmas. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Dear Heavenly Father, you amaze us, you astound us, where you take all the, the pieces of our lives, the big pieces, the small pieces, the broken pieces, the pieces that sometimes don't seem to fit, and yet you weave them together into something that is bigger than anything we can ever imagine. Father, help us during this time, during these next few weeks, to see Christmas for what it really is, the greatest gift of all. In all of its prelude of messiness, it still becomes the most wonderful time of the year because of Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.